Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. During the time of the Lord Jesus in the land of Israel, the life of a leper was a very difficult one. Part of what made the life of a leper very difficult was the fact that they were not accepted within the communities. They were not allowed to be a part of the communities in Israel. According to the Levitical law, they were required to be outside of the camp. If they ever approached anyone who was not a leper, then they would have to announce to that individual that they were unclean. They would have to proclaim that in order to ensure that the clean individuals would not approach them and perhaps become ritually defiled. In addition to that, they were required to keep their heads uncovered, their mouths had to be covered, and their clothing had to be torn as a way of identifying a leper. Now, in Leviticus, there are laws that govern the declaration of a leper. In other words, when somebody is beginning to have leprosy, they are to go to the priest, and there are laws that govern the evaluation of the individual, and in order to determine whether or not the person does actually have leprosy. And if they do, then they will be exiled from the communities. However, in addition to that, there are some additional laws that describe how to deal with a person who had leprosy and is then cleansed of their leprosy. In the event that a leper is cleansed of their leprosy by some means, then there were laws that were given in order to reincorporate that individual within the communities to allow them to be a part of the communities once again. What's very interesting, however, is that while these laws were given, especially in Leviticus chapter 13 and Leviticus chapter 14, while these laws were given by the Lord, the laws regarding the cleansing of a leper had never been implemented in the history of Israel. At no time throughout the entire history of Israel was any leper cleansed, an Israelite leper that is. Not one leper had ever been cleansed, and so those laws had never been invoked. The laws with respect to the cleansing of a leper and the reinstitution or the reincorporation of that individual within the Israelite society. Now I explained this in more detail in the program that I did, The Healing of the Jewish Leper. And so I would like to refer you to that program to gain some better insights with regards to this, especially when the Lord Jesus healed the first leper early in his ministry. However, in this program, I'd like to talk about the healing of the ten lepers with a little bit more detail, especially as it relates to one of the lepers who was a Samaritan. This is described in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 12 to verse 19. And I'll come back to this in just a moment. The life of a leper was very difficult, first of all, because they were not allowed to be a part of the communities. In addition to that, they had to go out into the wilderness regions in order to try to survive. And in general, the areas where lepers would settle in were areas that were not very suitable for agricultural production. And so they would go into an area that was not being developed or that was not occupied by other people and they would find themselves working the area with a lot more labor in order to produce enough to sustain themselves. 
And so in addition to being separate from the general economy, they would find themselves in areas that they would have a harder time trying to survive in just because of the geographical proximity and the sustainability of the land to be able to sustain a population. The lepers did join together and form leper communities, and that allowed them to trade with each other and increase their productivity quite a bit because it's much easier for people to do work if they are working together than if they are doing work by themselves. And so while they were separated from the general economy, they were able to build their own economies to sustain themselves to a certain degree. However, exporting to the general Israelite economy was very complicated, was very difficult, and importing from the general economy was very difficult as well. And so they were still relatively isolated. However, even though they were isolated, they did find ways of surviving. And that was generally done by increased labor And through that productivity, they were able to take care of themselves to a reasonable degree. In addition to working together so that they could increase their likelihood of survival, they also provided each other with a sense of community that they were not able to experience in the regular Israelite community. When a person was exiled from the community, it was considered to be a very profound experience of rejection because the entire nation would reject you as a person and never want to have anything to do with you again until this leprosy goes away. And so there was a very profound element of rejection that the people would deal with if they were leprous. And joining together in a new community or being a part of other people's lives who also struggle with the same thing did provide them with a reasonable degree of acceptance in the midst of their isolation. However, the rejection in this case ran much deeper than just simply being cast out of your home or perhaps the region that you grew up in. It was much deeper than that because in the Israelite society, it was believed that if a person had leprosy, it was because it was a divine judgment from God because of your sin. That's what they believed. And so beyond just the regular personal rejection and not being allowed to participate in the nation that you are a part of. In addition to that, there was also this religious element that the people were rejected by God, not just the people of the land, but also by the divine, the living God who was obviously judging them for some sin in their life. And so the life of a leper was very difficult, very challenging, not just because of the rejection from the people, but also because of their rejection from God, or at least that's what they would believe, because that was what was taught. Now, in Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 12, it says, As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go, your faith has made you well. Here in Luke chapter 17, we have a wonderful example that shows a group of lepers who have formed a community with each other. And what I find very interesting about this is that there are not only Jewish lepers, but there's also a Samaritan leper. That in this circumstance, in the situation of there being Jewish lepers and a Samaritan leper, 
it definitely shows an awful lot about people coming together because of their common struggles, because of the common rejection that they experienced. You see, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people had very little to do with each other at all. And of course, the main reason why was because of a religious dispute, a religious dispute in the sense that, first of all, the Jewish people were not willing to acknowledge the legitimacy of the Samaritans as Israelites. And in fact, in many cases, the Samaritans were not really legitimate Israelites. And so that can be understandable to a certain degree. But there was still a provision for the Samaritans to become Israelites, even if they were not officially recognized as being of the lineage of the tribes of Israel. And that would be if they were willing to embrace Pharisaical Judaism. But, of course, they were not willing to embrace Pharisaical Judaism. And so, on top of the uncertainty as to whether or not they were legitimate Israelites, in addition to that, they were also going to be rejected because they were not willing to embrace Pharisaical Judaism. And, of course, in the two programs that I did on the history of the Samaritans, I explained this in more detail. And so, I'd like to encourage you to listen to those two programs to gain some better insights with regards to that. But what I believe is important to see in this circumstance is to understand that the two groups were very much separated by their religious persuasions and by their genealogical positions, and yet in the situation of leprosy, they are both rejected by their own people. The Jewish lepers are rejected by the Jews in Jerusalem and in the other communities just because of their leprosy in accordance with the Mosaic Law. And the Samaritans also, who were wanting to try to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law, would reject the lepers in their communities as well. And so through the rejection from both sides, they come together. And in this situation, we can see that the Samaritans and the Jews can actually live together, build communities together, have a degree of acceptance with one another, and can enjoy fellowship with one another, whereas they could not have done that before because of the religious disputes that they held to as both of them were trying to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law. And again, in the programs that I did on the history of the Samaritans, I explained this in a lot more detail. But again, for now, consider Luke chapter 17, verse 13, where it says, And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They appealed to the Lord Jesus on the basis of mercy, not on the basis of him being the Messiah, not on the basis of him being the Messianic King or the King of Israel, but on the basis of him as a person, calling out to him Jesus as a master, the one who they are submitting themselves to, they are just simply asking for him to have mercy on them. And of course, I do believe that they had a high degree of confidence that he would heal them, that he would be able to heal them, because he had already healed a leper earlier in his ministry. Then in verse 14 it says, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. And so the Lord Jesus healed them and told them to go to the priests. Why would they go to the priests? Well, they would go to the priests because that was what they should have done according to the Mosaic Law. Now that they have been cleansed of their leprosy, they should go to the priests, and so the priests can evaluate them according to the laws of Leviticus chapter 14. The priests would evaluate the men, and through their evaluation, they would determine that the men were considered to be clean, and they would be restored to their position in Israelite society, and they would be allowed to be a part of Israel once again. 
And so for Jesus to send them to the priests makes perfect sense. It would be a testimony to Israel. It was the proper procedure in order to fulfill what was required by the Mosaic law so they could be reintegrated within society. It was a perfectly reasonable thing for the Lord Jesus to tell them to do. And sure enough, they went. They did exactly what the Lord Jesus told them to do, except for the Samaritan. The Samaritan came back. Now, in many cases, people look at this passage and say, look at how righteous the Samaritan is, especially in comparison with the Jews, because he came back and the Jews just kept going. Well, I can understand that from a certain perspective. I mean, the Jewish lepers who were healed could certainly have taken a few minutes to come back and thank the Lord Jesus before they went to the temple. But that's not what they did. The Samaritan did. He returned. Why? Well, it could simply be because they were obeying the Lord Jesus. They were doing precisely what he told them to do. He told them to go to the priests. That's what he told them to do. And so they were doing precisely what they were told. Why pass judgment on them because they did not appear to be as thankful as you would perhaps like them to be? There's no need to pass this kind of judgment on the individuals when you can just simply consider that they were doing exactly what the Lord Jesus told them to do. The Samaritan, on the other hand, he returned to the Lord Jesus. And when you consider his return, the Lord Jesus could simply have asked him, Why are you not going to the priests? I told you to go to the priests. That's what I told you to do. And now you're coming back here. Why are you back here? The Lord Jesus could very well have asked him that. He could have confronted the leper over that. Did he really have a need for the leper to come back and give thanks or not? I certainly don't believe that the Lord Jesus would suffer significantly because he was not thanked in a way that we probably would certainly enjoy. And if we were not thanked in that manner, we perhaps would feel a little bit rejected. I honestly don't believe that the Lord Jesus would struggle with issues such as that. However, the Samaritan still returned. He was healed of his leprosy and he didn't go to the temple. Why did he not go to the temple, though? In order to understand this, you have to understand the situation between the Samaritans and the Jews. There would be no place for him there at the temple. There would be no reason for him to go to the temple. He may have walked towards the temple for a little while with the Jews who were lepers and were now healed. He may have gone with them for a little while, but then he would notice the fact that he was a Samaritan and not a Jew. That would become quite obvious and much more important now than it would be before. While he was a part of their community of at least ten, he was a part of their community once before, Now that he has been healed of his leprosy, and they also have been healed of their leprosy, they can no longer be a community with each other. The Samaritan would no longer have a place with them, and they would no longer really have a place with him as a Samaritan. Because if the Samaritan went to the temple, he would be confronted by the priests and informed that he had no place there at the temple, because he was a Samaritan. He may have been healed of his leprosy, and that would be very exciting, I'm sure. However, there was no provision for him being a Samaritan to be cleansed by the priests or be declared to be clean by the priests because he was not accepted by the priesthood, by the Levitical priesthood. He was considered to be a foreigner. That's how Jesus addressed him in verse 18. In Luke chapter 17, verse 18, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? 
He was considered to be a foreigner. He was not considered to be a part of the nation of Israel. And so if he went to the temple, he would be turned away. If he went to any of the priests, he would be turned away. There was no place for him in the temple in Jerusalem or before the Levitical priesthood. And so he had nowhere else to go. He had no place else to go. The only place that he could go was back to where the Lord Jesus was. The only person that he could turn to would be the Lord Jesus. That's who he turned to. That's where he went. He went back to give thanks to the Lord Jesus because he would not have been welcomed by the priests and he would no longer be welcomed by the Jews. You see, the Jews who were once lepers and have now been healed now have an opportunity to once again be a part of the nation of Israel. And because of this divine, miraculous event, they would easily become more enthusiastic for their pursuit of the living God because they have experienced him personally. What would they do? How would they approach that? Well, they would approach that according to the Old Covenant, according to the Law of Moses, because that's all that they knew, that's all that they had. And so with renewed enthusiasm, they would once again bury themselves into the pursuit of trying to sustain their right standing with their God, trying to turn away from their sins even more, to live a life of repentance and obedience with hope that the living God would never again judge them for their sins like they would believe he had done previously. This is important to see that in this context, they would reject the Samaritan leper because the Samaritan would not be willing to embrace this theology. And while people would look at that and say that that's very sad, that's very depressing, that can be very disappointing, what happened instead was that the Samaritan went to the Lord Jesus. He turned away from the Levitical priesthood. He turned away from the high priest of Israel. He turned away from Jerusalem and from the temple. And where did he go? He went to the person of the Lord Jesus. And when he saw him, the Lord Jesus said in verse 18 again, was no one found who returned to give glory to God. This is a very profound statement for Jesus to make because the Jews would have believed, the Jews who were lepers, who returned to the temple, they would have believed that they were going to give glory to God. Glory to God because the laws of Leviticus could be executed in order to declare publicly and officially that they had been cleansed of their leprosies, that a divine experience had just happened where the Lord intervened in their lives and performed a miracle for them and for the nation. That would be their belief in terms of how they would give glory to God. But the Lord Jesus says something very different. He says that the Samaritan gave glory to God, and in effect the others were not giving glory to God. The Samaritan gave glory. He was thankful. He was appreciative. To who? To God. To the living God who actually healed him. The person of the living God was there. The Lord Jesus was God, manifested in the flesh, and he showed mercy to those individuals, setting them free from the divine judgment, at least according to their beliefs, that they were experiencing. Only the divine could set someone free from a divine judgment. The living God was there. He was there in the flesh in order to live amongst us, to speak with us, to teach 
what we needed to know, what we needed to truly understand in order to experience a relationship with him. And the Samaritan was the only one who came back and gave glory to God. The others gave glory to the temple. They gave glory to the priesthood. They gave glory to their opportunity to now be a part of the nation of Israel again. They gave glory to themselves effectively, but they didn't go to the person who actually healed them. I really believe that's important to see, that the people turned to religion. They turned to the religion of the nation instead of turning to the person who had, first of all, instituted the religion, of course, but who was also the one who truly healed them, that they would have rather been a part of the community of Israel and engaged with that than they would have been willing to engage in the person of Christ Jesus. But again, that's a very strong statement to make when you consider the fact that he told them to go to the priests. And so they could have just simply been obedient to the Lord Jesus. But when you see Jesus saying something like this, I do believe that he had greater insights with regards to the character of the individuals. And he passes judgment on the situation and says that in reality, the Samaritan was the one who actually gave glory to God and the others, from his perspective, didn't really give glory to God. Now, this, of course, says an awful lot about the character of people. The struggles that we really deal with as individuals have to do with the needs that we have as people. And one of the most powerful needs and one of the most important needs that we have as individuals is the need for acceptance. We have a deep need, a deep desire for acceptance. Our God created us to have this need to have this desire. There's nothing wrong with the need. There's nothing wrong with the desire. The problem, however, has to do with how we live our lives in order to have these desires met. We have a tendency to engage the world on the basis of wanting the world to accept us. And we have a tendency to engage religion in order to be accepted by the people of religion or to find acceptance from our God. But either way, there is a significant struggle that we all deal with when it comes to the issue of acceptance. In the world, it's very easy. You indulge your flesh and you will be accepted. And in religion, it's very easy as well. You restrain your flesh and you will be accepted. However, when you indulge your flesh in the world, you find that the advertisement of you will be accepted never materializes, that you will never receive the acceptance that you have a need for, And so likewise in religion, when you live a life of trying to restrain your flesh, you never experience the degree of acceptance that you have a need for there either. Certainly the people who are a part of whatever religious persuasion that you participate in certainly are not capable of accepting anyone to the degree that they have a need for. No one can be a replacement for God. God reserves this power to himself. He reserves this capacity, this ability to himself. He is the only one who can truly give us the acceptance that we truly have a need for. However, when we pursue a life of indulgence of the flesh and the world, we know deep down inside that we are not being accepted by our God, and we will not be accepted by our God until we get our flesh under control. And yet when we pursue a life of restraint of the flesh in religion, we also find that we will never be able to restrain our flesh. And so we never receive acceptance from the Lord there either. And so both in the world and in religion, we will find ourselves in a trap that prevents us from experiencing acceptance from our God. 
the only way to ever experience a personal relationship with our God to receive and enjoy the acceptance that he has for us is to turn away from both. You have to turn away from being outside of the camp as the lepers were. You have to turn away from the world of the indulgence of the flesh and you have to turn away from being inside the camp that is within the religious institutions, within the religious structures of the restraint of the flesh, because there is no acceptance there either. You have to truly turn away from both in order to turn to the person, to turn to Jesus, to turn to him. He is an individual. He is a person who you can know, who is waiting for you to turn to him so that he can give you all that you have a need for, to show mercy on you, to give you mercy, because you cannot be satisfied through your indulgence of your flesh, and you cannot obtain his mercy through your restraint of the flesh. You must come out of both the world and religion and turn to him as a person and receive all that he has for you, which he will freely give if you will only take what he is offering. And if you will take what he is offering, then what will you have left? All you have left is to be thankful. That's all that you have left. You cannot turn back to the world. You cannot turn back to religion. All you have left is him. All you have left is what he has freely given to you. And for you to be thankful is to give glory to your God. That is glorifying God. He is the one who is the source of all things. He is the one who is the provider of all things. So why is it that people have such a hard time believing that he is giving all things? He is giving all things. He has given all things. All things that you truly have a need for. All things that you need in the deepest part of your very being. He is giving freely. And for you to take what he is giving and to enjoy what he has for you. That is your opportunity to glorify your God, because as you live in this world on the basis of what you have, instead of what you think you're going to obtain, then your life will dramatically change. It will be a dramatic change in the context of this world that we're a part of, because it is through that that you walk as a living testimony of the living God, once again bearing the image of the invisible God as he expresses himself within and through you out of the abundance of what he has given to you. And that is the glory of God. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you.